0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. Uh, And we also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday.
1: Yeah, and as you're reading along or listening along with us, uh, we would love for you to take a few moments and send in some of the questions that may come up. Uh, Because we love to take time in every podcast at the end to just answer a couple of those questions. So feel free to do that. You can email them at at info.grow.church. Or you can, if you're on the Facebook, you can jump up on our Facebook at the Grow Church Washington on the Facebook. Uh, Like us and then send us a direct message through the Facebook page. So we can spend time
0: answering those questions. Yeah. And we have a, a couple today. They'll be really fun. One of them, uh, I always get really excited because I had to bust out my concordance for it, but we'll yeah, get to he that. Gets, he, he gets really nerdy. I get really giddy. In a, in a good sense of that word. <laughs> but, so anyways, moving forward. Uh, so today we're doing a book study of Jonah. So Jonah is, yeah, this uh, this is a fun book. Yeah. It's a minor problem doesn't, really quick. It doesn't end how you think it's going to end. So. That's true. And a very quick read, which is nice. So, uh, like if you can read it in one sitting easy. Yeah, So for sure. one of those things, uh, so a couple resources that we're using today, uh, the ESV study Bible kind of as always. Um, and then, uh, the essence of the old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. Um, I, we lean on that a lot for, mm-hmm. uh, kind of just old Testament study books. And then uh Aaron has his Old Testament survey book before. under to, the bus, I bro. Know. Well, I just uh, want to yeah, I kinda of wanna give no. credit.
1: Well, yeah, it's a survey of the Old Testament is the name of the book. I think it's by Gundry.
0: When we did Leviticus, I remember. It's we credited the book yeah, there. That, so, so if you want to know go that. Back and to it. Exactly. But we'll write it down next time. The book of Jonah. Uh so to kind of introduce the book, we don't know when uh Jonah was written. So it could have been written right after uh Jonah's prophetic ministry is taking place. It could have been written a long time after. Um, I want to say the earliest manuscript we have of it is like th- dated to about 300 BC. So that's like the drop dead. That's the latest that could have been written. Um, but it could also go anywhere back to like 750 BC. So it's really somewhere. wide.
1: It's written. We know that.
0: Yeah, it is. Ri- <laughs> it is written, but really wide. Um, as far as um, when the book was actually written and completed, what is not really in contention is when, uh, these events take place because, well, I, I guess I should, Is kind of be careful. We have a, uh, 40 year, uh, gap of time when we know that this book probably takes place because, uh, it says that, and I forgot to write down the name of the King. Cause I'm, I forget things. Um, but it says Jonah does his ministry. I believe it's Jeroboam, Jeroboam. the second. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Second. Boom. That was out of my Old Testament survey book that I remember. Sick. Um, so Jeroboam the second reigned from 793 to 753 BC. So we know um, that all of Jonah takes place during yeah. this time. And then there's some reasons we'll get to that um, later on in the book about why we think it would be towards the late end of that as opposed mm-hmm. to early on. Uh, but here's the thing. Main themes to keep in mind, uh, in the book of Jonah, I would say the main theme overall is God's mercy, uh, for people who don't deserve it. And so we'll see that, uh, that mercy gets extended to Jonah and then also gets extended to the Ninevites, uh, God's sovereignty over, especially nature, um, which I feel like most of us know the story of Jonah. So obviously there's the the great fish, uh, which swallows Jonah, but there's also, uh, the worm, there's the plant, there's a few different things, the storm, uh, God's definitely acting in nature throughout the whole book. And then finally, man's hypocrisy. That's a big, that's a big theme uh, in the it's book of Jonah. Theme. Oh like This yeah. is
1: This <laughs> is what stings the most when you read this book, if you, if you will allow yourself to be yeah. identifying with Jonah.
0: When you allow yourself to be uh, convicted of what's going on. So when we get to chapter four, we'll really kind of dive into uh, what we're talking about there. Uh, so there you go. Some modern scholars would argue that Jonah should be seen as an allegory or parable. Um, but we'll get into that um, a little bit r- later as to why it's probably not a property of the book. Um, first off, parables are never. Um, uh, I'm true trying, stories. Well, true stories. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to how to phrase it. They're they're never giving details. So when you think of a parable, it's when Jesus is talking. It's clearly a story because he just goes once there was a man who owned two vineyards and like, that's kind of a, like, yeah. uh, it's almost like once upon a time, like kind mm-hmm. of starting it off. Whereas this is like during the reign of Jeroboam the second, the prophet of the Lord Jonah went to, mm-hmm. and so um, there's specific dates that are given um, there's specific regions that are given. So it, it doesn't read as a parable and as far as, as far as allegory goes um, the main reason that people suggest that is um just kind of the supernatural elements of Jonah, which a, like if you're going to say like there's supernatural elements of this Bible story, it might not be true. Then you kind of have to do that with most of scripture. Um, and then B we'll get into a little bit later as to why, because the, the big shock for historians is why on earth would the Ninevites be so receptive uh, yeah. to Jonah's prophecy? And then we'll get it. It's really interesting actually. So no, almost immediately too, they like yeah immediately receptive. And we'll get into why, um, there's some other things at play that might have led to that. So, and that's really interesting. I, I didn't know this before we started studying. So, it's really yeah. cool to be able I'm, to dive in.
1: I feel convicted by not having my source, so I looked it up so I could quote it real quick. <laughs> um, because there's some things that I think are worth saying that I want to actually read a, a snippet from the the survey. So, here's the book that I'm I'm leaning on a lot. It's called uh, Encountering the Old Testament by Bill Arnold and Brian Byer. So, there you go. Shout out, credit to you. Arnie uh, and
0: Buyer. Evan's a jerk. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. So chapter one, uh, we're going to call this section, uh, Jonah flees from God's calling. And the nice thing about the book of Jonah is the chapters really do just line themselves up to being their own sections mm-hmm. that we talk about. Yeah. So we're just going to go one, two, three, four, four sections. Uh, so here's what we know. Jonah is a prophet who is commanded by God to go to Nineveh and and prophesy. He ha- God has a message for the people of Nineveh and he commands Jonah to go. Uh, Jonah's reaction is to run in the opposite direction to Tarshish. So that's pretty much the opening sentence of the book. Awesome. uh, Thanks, Jonah. Yep. Jonah, I need you to go do this. And Jonah's like, no. Deuces. So we don't know where Tarshish is. Um, That's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, But it's somewhere in the Western Mediterranean. But the the city or the town does not survive today. Uh, But because Jonah is hopping on a boat and sailing into the sea, we know that it's... uh, it's clearly not south or anywhere like that. And Nineveh is kind of to the northeast. It's mm-hmm. a, a close to modern day Turkey, I guess, is where you could kind of play. It. I think maybe it's more like actually Iraq, but into geography of the Bible. So yeah, sorry, but it's somewhere it's in the northeast of Israel um, is where it's located. Jonah goes in the opposite direction um, and he actually goes with a group of pagan sailors. Uh, and then when he's out on the ocean, uh, the storm begins to threaten their lives Uh, they pray to their gods. Um, Jonah's asleep at the bottom, which kind of is an interesting parallel of, uh, of Jesus in an opposite way. But, uh, Jonah's kind of chilling in the bottom of the boat. He's not really worried. The sailors are all freaking out that they're going to die. They're praying to their gods. They're doing, uh, it says that they actually throw off all of the cargo to make the boat lighter. Um, so it's really not looking good. And then Jonah reveals, uh, basically why the storm is happening. He's saying, you know, I'm running away um, from what God has commanded. Um, you need to throw me into the sea. And then the storm is going to stop. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I, I kind of want to say credit to the sailors, um, even though I guess they don't listen to God. So I guess it's not really credit to the sailors, but um, their first reaction is not like, all right. And then just throwing him overboard, yeah. but they mm-hmm. really do. Tr- they really do try to, to make it back. Yeah. Um, they're trying to save this guy's life. Cause they know that it's essentially killing Jonah if mm-hmm. they throw him into the sea. Um, but we have in verses uh, 13 through 17, which I think Aaron's gonna go and bust out here. This
1: is what it says, uh, just to give the scriptural context, it says, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I think you, the tempestuous. It's a great word. We don't use the word anymore. Uh, Against them. Uh, Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay uh, not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging, which is really interesting. That just immediately just stops. Mm -hmm. Um, Another translation I remember reading says that it stopped immediately. Uh, And then said this, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, And the Lord appointed a a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights.
0: All right. So um, one of the interesting things when I was looking through, I think this was mentioned in the survey book. Um, that chapters one and three of Jonah really parallel each other and chapters two and four really parallel mm-hmm. each other. So one and three are all about God showing mercy. And then two and four are Jonah's responses to those mercies. Yeah. Um, and so it may, at first glance, this doesn't seem like mercy from God <laughs> because he gets no. thrown into the sea. Um, and then he spends three days inside of uh, an animal, which is not also not great. Yeah. Um, Probably really uncomfortable. But the idea is that, Um, this, the fish saves Jonah's life. Yeah. Uh, Jonah would have died. He would have drowned in the ocean. That would have been the end of his story, but God, um, appoints a great fish. Um, we don't know what it is, but, uh, it swallows Jonah and then we'll see eventually uh, it vomits him back onto uh, dry land. Word. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing too, I think even to say, I just
1: speak to that for a minute is um, even as I was kind of reading this morning uh, and just reviewing some of the notes uh, from that old Testament book that I credited just a few minutes ago, cause Evan made me feel bad. You're welcome. Um, no, but it, it was interesting cause it's, it's this whole fish thing. It's, it's, it's an aspect of God's grace. Like that fish swallowing him is such a, a, a significant, significant point. And I remember as a kid, Reading, I'm like, well, what kind of fish was it? I remember as a kid thinking yeah. it was like a whale, like in Pinocchio when he was swallow him and his, his and Geppetto was swallowed in the raft. By the way, on this just massive open cavern. Uh, and then later on in my life, realizing like that, that's actually not true, <laughs> yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Um, but it's this picture of grace, like the fact that this fish saved Jonah's life because of God's appointment, God's divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to remember that. Um, So it was just interesting to read that this morning and be reminded like, oh yeah, there is this like aspect of grace to Jonah.
0: It is. I was reading that it could have been a sperm whale. So for what that's for that for what that's worth, it's the it's I think it's Did you really did did that something you really Well, I was just curious about like it's in it's in one of the books I was reading. Interesting. It was just saying of the whales that are in that region, that's the only one that would actually I thought you were just making a joke because of the conversation we had as a staff yesterday. No. That's Uh, a- that's actually really funny. That's a legit uh, that is the, that is like the one crap, whale yeah. in that region who could have actually pulled off uh, swallowing a manhole. So there you go. Uh, anyway, so chapter two is uh, Jonah's response to God's mercy. And so it's really interesting because the, all of chapter two <coughs> is poetry and it's really structured like mm-hmm. um, a psalm. So when you're reading it, um, you could very easily just throw this in. as like, oh, it's Psalm 151 or whatever you want to say. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you. So it's, it's structured very similarly, uh, but it says this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out of, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. And what that means is, you know, I was close to death. Yeah. um, And you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I have driven, I'm driven away from your sight yet shall, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head, and the roots of the mountain out at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land, whose bars closed up forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Uh, first off that's gross also true well yeah jonah (laughs) kind of deserves a little bit of gross
1: (laughs) (laughs) well but first off it's gross i mean but you're in that uh the muck and the mire of the belly of the fish anyways so i guess it's not the end of the world but dude just not even think
0: about i just love that while jonah uh is in is in this situation which is Assuredly, incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just thanking God yeah. for for His mercy, thanking God for the mercy they showed him. And I love the last that the last line of of the poem is, "Salvation belongs to the Lord," yeah. which is a theme throughout the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing: Jonah forgets that really soon, and we'll get to that. He he forgets that salvation or the decision of salvation belongs to God and not to man because uh, we'll see his reaction to so funny. spoilers. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, we, we move forward into Jonah three, uh, chapter three. So God gives Jonah the same command as the first chapter. So it's almost kind of like a reset button. Uh, in mm-hmm. the first chapter opens up with God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to, uh, to prophesy third chapter opens up and God said to Noah, Jonah, uh, going go to, Nineveh. not Noah, uh, going to Nineveh and prophesy. Maybe not, no, no, just kidding. There you go. Uh, so Jonah goes to Nineveh and, uh, the people are surprisingly receptive. He goes in and he says in 40 days, the city will be destroyed. And then, uh, Aaron take it away with, uh,
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I remember reading is it it, it took Jonah three days just to cover the city to make the announcement to all the people. Right. Uh, So for three days, he's walking around saying the same message. Hey, in 40 days, uh, judgment's coming in 40 days. You're all going to die in 40 days. Sucks to be you." like he's literally walking around for three days, making this message known. Uh, And then this is the people's response in verse uh, six through through 10 of chapter three says the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth's. Sackcloth and sat in ashes. In other words, he's he's taking a posture of humility and repentance. And he issued a proclamation and published published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, sackcloth, and let them carry call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said uh, he would do to them. And he did not do it. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy because this is not what we think will happen. I think Jonah almost kind of was excited to be able to, to oh, yeah. preach. I mean, the Ninevites, and I don't know how much you plan to go into this, but the, the Ninevites were not good people. No, <laughs> they were, they were horrible people. And so there's some from uh, from a Jewish standpoint which Jonah was. He was like these people are horrible. They're wretched. They need to go. They're done. Like eradicate them from the earth, please God. So he knew that, that that was the people he was speaking to.
0: Yeah, and there's um and we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about chapter 4 as well, but um I think there there's uh um there's a hint of of racism within Jonah uh where he just oh, for sure. he hates the Assyrians. He hates the Ninevites, that's clearly true. Um but I also think sometimes just because of um I think just with our modern context, we we ascribe to that things that, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Basically, uh, it's not completely unfounded that Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. Um, at this point, the Assyrians and the Israelites haven't been at war constantly, uh, but there have been skirmishes and Israel has had to pay um, tribute to the Assyrians. And so there is like this kind of, um, I, I suppose you could say the, a rivalry between the countries. So it's not just kind of a simple like, well, I hate them because... Um, they're this race. It really is kind of like what they've done in the past. Um, the countries have been interlocked in conflict for a long time now. And and then clearly they're just, they're, they're very evil people. They do very wicked things. Um, wicked enough that God is saying like, I'm going to destroy the city yeah, because absolutely. of how disgusted God is with it. Um, but so let's get into, this is where I, fun facts. Uh, I think this is really interesting. So one of the, um, the big modern critiques of Jonah is, is why on earth would the Ninevites just listen? Cause it Straight sounds like, like,
1: Oh, bad news. Okay. Got to change.
0: Cause literally Jonah just what from, if you're just reading what scripture says there, Jonah shows up to Nineveh and he says, the city is going to be destroyed in 40 days. And the Ninevites are like, Oh crap. Okay. And then Shoot. they just completely turn it around. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple interesting things that happen. And this is why I think, um, that we can, in my head, I think I know the the year that this takes place, and here's why. Um, one of the interesting things that we have is that in the Assyrian record, we know that there is a great earthquake that takes place during the reign. And I forgot to write down this king's name, but it's it's I a long. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it's a long name. Uh, but between he ruled from 773 to 756 BC. Um, so in that reign there was um, a great earthquake that destroyed a good amount of places. And and especially at at that time in the ancient world, that would be seen as like... An act of the gods. Yeah. Why are the gods angry with us? punishing me. And that lines up with when Jonah's ministry is taking place between 773 and 756. Um, Jonah is clearly... I'm going to go up and look at the dates really quick just so I make sure. Yeah. Between 793 and 753. Yep. So there you go. Uh, That lines up pretty well. And then the other thing, and I thought this was really interesting, is that there was a complete solar eclipse in the year of 763 um, that went right over the region. And again, that would have been seen as, why are the gods angry with us? That would have been seen as a very bad omen, um, particularly when you go to kind of like astrologers and fortune tellers, like that sort of stuff. Um, So those two things combined, if those happened close to each other, so let's say that, because we know for for a fact that the eclipse took place in 763. Mm -hmm. Um, let's say the earthquake happened within that year, or at least very close. If you have two massive, um, what would be perceived as signs from the gods happen, and then you have a prophet come in and he's going to say, he's saying the city is going to be destroyed in 40 days. You're going to be really receptive to that. And so it kind of does kind of, it it, it helps explain why on earth, uh, this pagan city that was practicing wickedness believed Jonah right off the bat. Well,
1: and and I would even say it probably took, um, the moment it gets back to the king, the king has a response. Uh, and that's where the people start responding as well is because the king decrees like, this right. is what we're doing from now on. Uh, and so even as Jonah's running around the city of Nineveh, there could have been this like laughing, like a kind of, or this nervous laughter is like, yeah, whatever. And, but then the moment the king got wind of it is when he's like, he immediately positions himself uh, in a manner of repentance and humility. And, um, and then says, don't eat like, and I guess total random stupid thing. Uh, I think you can say this is when animals were first clothed, uh, so that people who dress their animals today they have biblical backing to do so, which Boo. is
0: lame for, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> so uh, that's random and dumb, but it was funny when I read it. But Yeah, that's the thought that went through my head when I read it. So. I like
0: it. So- um,
1: but yeah, it's it's. I think the timing is is really unique. Um, and strategic. And I think that there is some something to be said about this is why the, the Ninevites were so quick to respond yeah.
0: and repent. So. Which is, yeah. And that's why I would say if you had to like, you know, if you're, if you're talking to me like Evan, you have to pick a day that the story of Jonah or yeah. a year that the story of Jonah takes place, I would say probably 763. that would make a lot of sense. And yeah. it would kind of help put the pieces together. So there you go. Fun facts. Yeah. Um, the people have never repent. It's not, a, it's not a repentance that lasts forever. Cause we've seen like in the next, uh, Within a hundred years, I think it's Nahum starts to prophesy that Nineveh and Assyria are going to be destroyed because they just go back. Um, but for at least maybe a generation, yeah. uh, the Ninevites don't suck as much. So yeah, good, good there for, was a season of good for them of, of goodness. So, and then we get to uh, this is where we're going to camp out for a while um, because this really is, this is the, the best chapter of the book. Oh, it's it's so interesting because it's so convicting um, mm-hmm. in a certain sense, but it's also just one of those things where. Um, you just see the theme come together. Oh yeah. Um so this really is the main moral of the story. Uh, Jonah leaves, um, and he's he's angry. So God <laughs> shows mercy to the Ninevites. And I can, Aaron take it away. Uh, Jonah oh. 4, 1 through 4. It says this, but it is
1: it but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That line in and of itself, this is the first verse of chapter 4. Uh, and it says, And he prayed to the Lord, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It's almost for a minute that like God, he's complaining that God is so gracious and loving and kind and,
0: oh, he, and patient. He's he like, totally who is are you? You're a jerk. I knew you do It's this like, this and, is why I didn't want to go. I knew you were loving I, I knew and you, you were merciful. <laughs> You're the worst. But like, um, it's literally what Jonah's yeah. saying in that moment.
1: And and so, and he says this, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you... Uh, What is it? Do you do well to be angry? God just calls him out in his anger for a second, says, why, what, what benefit is this of you? Um, But, and it's funny because, and I know you've got some stuff you want to say for a minute, but um, how often are we this way? Like with people for sure. And I can't think of a more dividing conversation than politics because it's so prevalent right now. Yeah. But you get, we, we have an immediate willingness to cast judgment and anger towards someone of a different party. And we forget God's grace and how good he is. Or we don't even forget God's grace. We don't want God's grace right. to be evident for that person or the, for that party or for that individual. Um, and it's not to try and have a political dialogue, but it, it like, that's the most polarizing thing for our country because that's what we're walking through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting, man. Like When I read this, I'm like, shut up, God. Like, <laughs> <sighs> You're right. So anyways, it's just so challenging and convicting. This is why I love
0: this chapter. I, I just think it's almost... Um satirical in a way and not in the sense of like not being true, but it's mm. just, it's so Jonah can just clearly not perceive. Um And this is something that Jesus talks about later when he tells the parable of uh, the man who has forgiven his debts and then mm-hmm. immediately goes out and finds someone he's like, and he just starts laying into him and he's going to yeah. throw him in prison for not, it's it's, it's that exact uh story a little bit. Yeah. And I just also love that God makes fun of Jonah because I think sometimes we have this, this picture of the way that, um, that God speaks to us is that it's always incredibly serious and yeah. in whatever it is, but there's moments where God just is kind of like, like Job comes to mind where mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Where were you? Yeah. When where I, are you again? when I did this and oh, then I didn't know you knew more than I did this, is what Jonah just lays into, I knew you were merciful and you were loving and you were going to give mercy to the Ninevites. Just kill me. It's better that I die. And God's just like, do you, are you doing good being so angry? Like, yeah. do you do well to be so How's angry? How's that working for part? you? How's that working for Thanks, you? Dr. Phil. Um, but yeah, so that's what happens. And then the chapter is really short. So we're just going to read, um, it's only six more verses. So we're just going to read the rest of it really quick and then kind of just get in and talk about it. So in verse five, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should uh, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be shade over his head to save him from the his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant.
1: I just love the fact that God's like... Taking it one step further. Like, God just doesn't stop saying,
0: Oh, you know, yeah, you're going to, pout. let me put a plan up for you. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't stop there. And we'll was. see, we'll see why God puts the plan up. Uh, But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun <laughs> rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. The second time Jonah said that. Just, it's so ridiculous. I love it. Um, Uh, But God said to Jonah, again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I
1: see my two-year-old son right now crossing his (laughs) arms. Yes. Totally pouting.
0: How's this working out for you, Jonah? It's working fine. (laughs) Leave me alone. I want to die. And then, uh, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The end. That's the end of the book. (laughs) There's no resolution to...
1: Jonah has nothing to say. Yep. He's been shut up. No,
0: I I will say I I do think that Jonah eventually comes around just because um, we have the book. So, and the only person who would be able to tell us all of this is Jonah himself. Yeah. So I do think that eventually Jonah repents and realizes you think how. think he's
1: laughing at himself as he's writing out the
0: the no, transpired? that's a good question. Because you got to laugh at yourself, right? <laughs> well, we're laughing at him. Well, I hope so. Um, but yeah, so anyways, Jonah leaves and he, God appoints a plant to him. And then the plant dies. And then it says that God even makes it hotter. Like he appoints a really biting wind and the sun's breaking down. Yeah. And Jonah's like, again, he, just, I don't know what he's so overdramatic with just like, I want to die. This like is just two-year-old. the worst. There you go. Um, but then God makes a great point. Yeah. A. A. I love the fact that he hits him again with a, do you do well to be so angry? But then he's saying you, you care so much about the plant that when the plant dies, um, you, you just want to die. You hate the fact that this plant was, was taken away from you. Um, but these are people Yeah. like they're, are they doing wicked things? Absolutely. But they're, they're changing, they're repenting. Um, and you, you hate the mercy yeah. that I'm showing. It's, oh, it's just man. a really interesting.
1: You want to talk about a gut punch. Right. Um, Cause that, that's the compare and contrast. Like you care more about this plant than you care about the people. And that's the call. Like that's, that's God point blank making his point, which is why I honestly think Jonah had nothing to say. I think the book ends because that was be. like, you win touche." Like it's this, okay, buck up. Like he kind of gathers himself and you know, he may walk, him, he may still have walked away pouting. He may have still walked away disappointed or uh, a little bit frustrated, but there's clarity that was brought into that moment. So for me thinking the hopes, the hopeful right. side of the conversation, uh, it was such a, such an interesting conversation picture to stop and think about for a minute. Like, Oh yeah, you win Lord. You always do start in yeah, contest. But um, I mean, that's
0: like, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, I guess you could say like God shuts them up. Yeah. Like, there's nothing he, else to say. Checkmate.
1: You can't complain. You did what I called you to thank you for that. And it's interesting because it was this matter of obedience that God didn't even get into. Cause I think in some respects, Jonah felt like there may have been a waste of time. Like one of the things I remember reading uh, from that, from the, the survey book was, um, It's he was upset and irate because he knew why, 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 why call me here to proclaim judgment only for you to not even follow through with what I said. Sure. With what you told me to, what was the point you wasted my time in my life to come here. Um, In some respects, like it's a self-seeking statement and he's very selfish in that mindset, but it definitely is. uh, I think there is some interesting tension there that exists. Um, And I'm just going to read this real quick from kind of the overview, the interesting uh, introduction of the book from the survey book that I have. Uh, and it just says, this: It said, people today, this is the application side of me where I read this and I'm like, dang it, stop it. Um, but it says this people today try to run from God in many ways. Some people try to avoid God and his word altogether. So they will not feel guilty about the way they live. Others avoid God by fulfilling their lives with the pursuit of power and success. Sometimes even Christians run from God. If he calls them to do something they do not want to do. Jonah ran from God because he didn't want to do God's will. Jonah convinced himself that he knew best, but in the end, God's prophet realized he had a lot to learn. And that in and of itself, I think is a nutshell of the tension I feel, even revisiting this this book. I don't ever want to revisit it again. Um, But it's that, where am I? Where am I walking out what I think God has called me to according to my own perspective and my own understanding? And Jonah walked out and modeled for us so you and I don't have to today, To understand humility, to understand it's not about my perspective of how do I see things play out and whether or not I I view or think someone is righteous or deserves grace and mercy. At the end of the day, I don't deserve it and God still has freely given it to me. And so it comes back to that conversation of, am I willing to extend what I've been given even though I don't fully deserve it?
0: Yeah. And as Christians, our posture should always be, um, God has shown me incredible grace I should desire that he shows that grace to others. And that's what Jonah forgets. God showed him incredible grace. He didn't let him die. Yeah. Um, he could have easily appointed another prophet to go. He didn't. He mm-hmm. saves Jonah's life um, and he sends him back. And then within uh, a chapter, Jonah just forgets that. Again, Again, he forgets the, that he called out salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, and at the end, he's angry with where God chooses to, uh, uh, to give salvation. So there yeah. you go. Uh, one final note. Um, it is weird that it ends on, and so much cattle is the last phrase of the book. I feel this has nothing to do with anything. We'll see how the translations say. Uh, I'm sure it's something similar, but it probably is. And I should not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand for the right hand from their left, which yeah, sure. And also much cattle. So there you go. It's uh, awesome. The cows are more valuable than the plant. So <laughs> on that note, uh, we had a couple questions coming this week. So we're going to go into the uh, Q and a portion uh, question number one says this, uh, throughout the old Testament, you read stories like in second Kings 28 through 11, where they, uh, where they ask God to prove himself or his intentions. Meanwhile, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what sign will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go from the temple of the Lord three days from now Isaiah replied this is a sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as promised would you like the shadows uh the shadow on the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backwards 10 steps the shadow always moves forward Hezekiah replied so that would be easy make it go 10 steps backward instead so Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this and he caused the shadow to move 10 steps backwards on the sundial of Ahaz but isn't this putting God to the test? Oh, this is back to the question, not quoting. Uh, but isn't this putting God to the test or testing God, which the Bible says clearly not to do? Such a good question. Great question. Okay. So, and this is, a, this is actually really fun. So, in... Um, in the book of Matthew and in Luke, it happens in both. Uh, I didn't write down this verse. That would have been dumb, but I, I just, we just kind of all know. wouldn't it. have been dumb. It was dumb that you didn't write. Uh, d- yeah, that's what you meant. To that's him. right. Yeah. Uh, but so Satan is tempting uh, Jesus in the desert. And he says, jump down uh, from the, from a great height mm-hmm. and have the angel save you. And then everyone will know uh, who you are. And Jesus replies with, do not put uh, the Lord your God to the test. It is written, do not put your Lord to the God, your God to the test. So if you just read that, um, it really does come across as it is never ever appropriate um, to ask for a sign from God. And there's also um, there's different points where the Pharisees and the Sadducees ask for a sign yeah. and Jesus says, you wicked generation. Why? So, okay. So that happens. But like um, uh, the person who sent this question is saying, there's a ton of places yep. where people ask for signs and then God obliges them. Yeah, He gives them. is a
1: great story of that. Yeah, I mean, he's asking multiple times over.
0: So, you know. So, um, so what's going on there? Okay, so here's, here's where it gets kind of fun. It, I mean. So in what Jesus is quoting is Deuteronomy 6, 16. And it says, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test, and then comma, as you tested him at Massa. Okay, so then there's, there's kind of some interesting context there. It's not saying simply you should not put your Lord to the test. It's saying as you did at Massa. Mm-hmm. So what happens at Massa? For that, we have to go back to Exodus, the rabbit hole. It's going deeper. Uh, and so in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, it says this All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. They camped at uh, Rephiv, There's a Rephidim. word there. Rephethim? Wow, yeah. good job. Uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, "Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and let your hand in, uh, and take in your hand the staff which you, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall drink the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and, Mer- and Meribah." because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Okay. So interesting context. And again, we talk about open-handed, close-handed issues. Mm-hmm. This one's really open-handed because um, the Bible's not super clear about what the difference is between the two things. Yeah. What's interesting about this passage is that the people openly question whether or not God is even with them. Mm-hmm. And so what you see with, with Hezekiah is, um, there's really no question that God is active and working. What his question is, how do I know that the Lord is going to do this particular thing? Whereas the people of Israel are questioning, is God even here? Now, it also gets interesting with Gideon because Gideon does say, um, where's the God of our fathers um, of whom I've heard so many things. So again, it, it doesn't work out perfectly, but the best answer I could give is that God looks at the heart of when people ask for these things. And so if if in God's judgment, the hearts of Gideon and the hearts of Hezekiah were not angry and disbelief, but rather um, because of the things that were said to happen, they were just asking for some kind of confirmation that, that this is actually what God is saying, um, as opposed to what we see in uh, Exodus, where the people are clearly quarreling Um, they're questioning even like, you know, is God with us? Is God doing anything? It says that they're fighting and they're ready to kill Moses. Um, and then they have the audacity to say, like, we should just go back to being slaves in Egypt after crying out for freedom for 400 years. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they don't want it anymore. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting, it's just an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, and I would agree with you, man. I think it's, it's, I mean, it's a matter of the heart. I would, you know, it's a posture of the heart is
1: how I would phrase it. Um, because I think it, it creates a better image for me, um, but I do think it's it's a matter of arrogance versus a matter of humility. Um, I remember at different times I would, I mean, there were seasons in my life and I've had multiple conversations with people about, you're not, God doesn't say, the only thing God says, test me in this. And he invites that challenge is when it comes to giving and financial True. like tithing. Um, and that's a whole different conversation. But one of the things that I, that, that I, I have found throughout the course of my life is, the, the, it's the posture with which I'm asking God to do something or show himself faithful. Um, if we're never allowed to test God in the sense of, okay, God, prove yourself, um, from a humility standpoint, then fasting would never be something we are told to do. Um, cause fasting is not just a matter of a spiritual discipline, but there's also a matter of breakthrough where we're believing God because I'm, I'm laying my life bare before you. In essence, I'm killing myself to see your will be done and for you to provide and bring breakthrough. Um, there's so many different components to fasting. I think it's a matter of, of humility versus arrogance. The people, uh, in Exodus were, were angry. They were upset. They were self-seeking. They were, uh, there was some arrogance to their conversations. Like, have you brought us here to, to kill us and our, our children with thirst? Is that what you've done? And there's almost like this super, um, heavy, this super magnified hangriness that exists with, you're not um, you when you're thirsty, you're not you have a Snickers. Um, but I think that there is that posture. Like, am I, am I asking God because I really don't know how else, to, to, to understand if it's him or not. Um, And if it's done with this humility where I understand God, you're sovereign and whatever plays out, plays out versus I just, you need to do this. God, you owe me this. If it's that, if it's that tension, I deserve this. Therefore give me what I want. It's, it's a two year old. Like for whatever reason, my son is a perfect example of these things today. And his name is Gideon and his name is Gideon. Uh, But he's, he literally, I want it. And well, no, you're not going to have it. You know, it's not yours. You don't have rights to that. Um, The Bible is very clear, like our next breath is not guaranteed. Um, And so there's this understanding of who we are and our our limitedness and the fact that God is sovereign. So are we challenging God for, you know, in his authority and sovereignty and thinking we're on equal footing, if not above him to where he serves us? Or is there humility in the sense of God? I need you to move. I need you to show me that you're at work. I need, and this was Gideon's response. Like, where are the God of my fathers? It wasn't done in an arrogance. Like, where well, where are you God? But it's like, where is the God of my fathers that I've heard, that I've that I've learned, that I've been taught? True. I need you to show yourself. To, to For us to do what you're telling me to do, I need you to move and work. Uh, versus like, you owe me this. It's a matter of that heartbeat, that posture, that arrogance, or that humility. That's how I would understand and, and respond and answer the question. Yeah, so don't great. test God with a- arrogance. Book,
0: you can walk before him humbly and say, God, I need you to move. There you go. Uh and then our second question or final question for today, uh, gentlemen exclamation point. You like it, this question. This was the one that i got to bust out. We talked like about accordance. before right now. So Uh, In reading today's text of Malachi, it states that God hated Esau. This is a very strong word. Is that just a case of the English translation picking a word that in Aramaic or Hebrew means something different? My quick Google search suggested it simply means not in favor or not getting the blessing. Can you highlight other places where the English translation may put an inaccurate spin on what is really being said? All right. So full disclosure. I didn't have time to dive into the second part of that question so I don't have examples of where else we, things get lost in translation. I think that's the importance just to be like a quick side note. It's the importance of not just
1: taking a, a specific translation. That's why I like the YouVersion Bible app. Shout yeah. out to Live Church and their creation of it. Um, but it allows you to see it in different forms. So you can get a better understanding of what, what is actually being communicated through scripture. So yes, yeah. side know that's one way to practice and understand exactly what's being said.
0: And, but this does raise a really important thing. So I, I referenced it a couple of times, but I do want to put down like it's an official resource. So I use the, uh, let me see, I have it right in front of me. It's the, the strongest uh, NASB exhaustive concordance. So there you go. Formerly titled have one that's an NIV one. There you go.
1: Same type of concordance, just with NIV.
0: And yeah, what a concordance is, is it, um, it goes through, every single word that is in the Bible, not, not a joke. These are very thick books. No, it, you want to know about a word, get a concordance and start there. And so what it does, so, you know, it says, and God hated Esau. So I can look up the word hated and I can see every time in the Bible, the word hated is used. But then what it also does is in the back of it, there's a Hebrew and a Greek dictionary.
1: It gives you numbers Yep, that numbers. you can attach the words to whether it's the old Testament, which is Hebrew, new Testament, which is Greek.
0: So, yep. So I can look up that. Um, and then I can look up the exact Hebrew word that is used in that chapter. But then you can also see, and this is where the advantage really comes from Bible studies, um, where else that exact Hebrew yeah. word. So not just words that are translated to into English as hated, but the exact Hebrew word that is being used, where else is it being used? So um, if you find yourself um, really, you know, questioning something in an English translation, you're thinking to yourself, well, that seems out of character. I would encourage you. I mean, you can Google search what the word means. Um, That'll give you some idea. Yeah. Concordances are awesome. So, and then just, you know, the, there's really easy tutorial videos yeah. on how to use one, but mm-hmm. once you have it, it's um, it's really a, a great tool for studying yeah. the Bible. And I would say the problem with only Googling it
1: is you get so many different interpretations or perspectives. True. Um, and the concordances that that Evan referenced or, or I would use or that scholars would use, so to speak, uh, are very specific yeah. uh, to the text and the translation. Evan's isn't an ASB. The one I use is an NIV. They're specific to the translation that you're reading to. Right.
0: And then I also see- Not too, to give
1: you a whole schooling
0: on- concordances, but it's important to use. Yeah. They're important. And the, the really nice thing about them too, is the fact that it's not, um, opinions. So yeah, it's hilarious. not that this is, what the word is. This is what the word meant. This is the context. Exactly. All right. So with that being said, uh, the Hebrew word that is used in that passage is the word, uh, sane or sane. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It's S A N E. Um, and here's meanings that it has. It means detest enemy, hate, turn against, or unloved. Um, there's a few, a few others in there, but so at first glance, uh, this really doesn't come across as just like, um, it's not a misused word, yeah, not in favor, it's a pretty accurate. Yeah. Translation. So, um, I went through and just for you, dear listeners, um, I went through and found every single spot in the Bible where that word is used. Um, I didn't list them all, but there's kind of three, there's two different ways that it's used. And then there's a third way where it's just kind of vague and we don't know. Mm -hmm. So first example would be actual, what we think of when we say hate, um, actual emotional hatred for someone. And so this would be um, in Genesis 37, this is the story of Joseph. Uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak uh, speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And then we kind of skip down uh, to verse 8. And his brothers said to him, "Are you going? Indeed, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. So in that passage, it's clearly... When we think of English hatred. When I say I hate you. Yep. That's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, another example of that would be Absalom's hatred for Amnon. Um, it says in Samuel, Second Samuel 13, 22, uh, but Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. So in that sense, there really was like a legit sinful wrong that was mm-hmm. committed. Um, and it says Absalom hates maybe a little bit more justified, uh, but he, he hates Amnon. The second way that it's used, um, in the historical books, from what I could tell, that's pretty much the only way that it's used. And then you get into the uh, the wisdom literature, the more poetic literature. It's used a lot of times in that way, uh, but it's also used a different way. So in Psalm 45, 6 through 7, uh, this is a psalm that is praising the human king, um, or at least an ideal king. Um, I didn't do a ton of research into what it's talking about, but it's, it's not praising God specifically. It's praising the king for the way um, that the king serves the Lord. Um, It says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so it really could also be a messianic psalm now that I'm reading it because it does kind of start off with your throne, O God, is forever and ever. But... Um, The idea there is you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Well, clearly that's not what we would describe as English hatred. That would be more of kind of like an English rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not this idea of like you just emotionally like, I hate you, but it's more of kind of just, I've completely rejected this, no qualms about it. It's not in my life at all. Um, And the final one would be Proverbs uh, 129. It says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose uh, the fear of the Lord. So again, there, there's probably not like this emotional, like I hate knowledge. I hate knowing things, but it's this rejection of, of knowing things, um, and not choosing to fear the Lord. So those are the two main ways, um, that we see this word used. And then the passage in Malachi that's, re- that, um, the listeners referring to is Malachi one, three, but Esau, I have hated, I have laid waste, uh, his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. All right. So this is interesting.
1: Definitely um, is interesting.
0: it doesn't mean that I, the question is, well,
1: why does he hate Esau? Right. Um, and, and if, if it really is this emotional or even this practical hate, why? Uh, and part of it, I think, go back to the story of Esau. I mean, Esau rejected God's blessing and God's provision and God's, uh, placement of him so much. So it says, I think there was one trend or one passage again, just coming to mind, like Esau despised his birthright. So he just gave it up freely. Uh, and that's, that's the, this, the story between Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Um, right. And so, Esau what? Uh, Esau had of, this is weird, but had a foot come out or an arm come out first? They tied a ribbon around. It, he put his foot back in, and Jacob came out afterwards from being born. And so, just is this idea of that Jacob, Esau hated what was rightfully his so much so that he just gave it up. He despised it. Um, so there's like, the blessing and provision that God gives through the first to the firstborn. Uh, there could be some of the reason why God hated Esau. Yeah, uh, and maybe not per. Anyways.
0: So it, it, he hated what
1: you, how Esau responded to the blessing of being the firstborn and the birthright and those things that come with it. Um, it's, I don't think God hates people. Maybe it's not.
0: So there's a couple, yeah, it, it's, it is a really good question. Um, there's so much, yeah, there's so many layers to it. Yeah, exactly. So like, one thing I think is important is that, um, God is talking about, or in Malachi, he's talking about Jacob and Esau, the people, but he's also talking about Jacob and Esau, the, the nations, um, cause Esau yeah, yeah. is, a. Uh, Edom is the nation mm-hmm. that comes from him um and then obviously Israel comes from from Jacob. Um and what we see is that Edom uh does not serve the Lord. No. And so It's constantly at odds against God's people. Exactly. Too. So constantly breaking God's commands, is constantly going to war. Um and so there is this kind of hatred in one sense that I think is justified in the in the idea that these are God has commanded these things and these people are constantly going um against it, practicing worship to idols, all these different things. Um but the other thing I would say too, is that I, I think there is a clear kind of using of both of the senses of the word, which is why it's probably a good word to use. Um, there is an anger that God feels towards the, the people of Esau, the, the nation, and that they continually reject him and who he is. And that's why it says, you know, his, yeah. his uh, inheritance I have left to the jackals and all of that. Um, but they're also just a rejection. Yeah. Um, there is this idea that I have accepted Jacob and I've rejected Esau. Um, and that pertains to the nations as well. So the, yeah. the people themselves, um, God accepts Jacob and Esau, um, but the nations, God also accepts Israel yeah, here. It probably ties into a lot of their response to him. Yeah. Like they've rejected me.
1: It forces me to reject them.
0: So And this kind of gets back to um this is my final thought before we before we wrap up together. We're going we're going a little bit long today as well. Uh no, but this, this is not long, bro. This is normal. Normal now. It's our new it's normal. It's now our new normal. Uh but there they're, they're it, it goes back to uh, last week's question about, you know, why would God allow, uh, why, why would God command Israel to just completely destroy um, cities and kill everyone inside? Um, there is this idea that we need to remember, uh, we need to remember our, our, our place when it comes to God and that there's things, there's things that God does that maybe we don't fully understand, but we know that because of who God is, that's righteous. And in a way, it's interesting because me and Aaron were talking about yesterday um, mm-hmm. and the example that came to mind would be um you know, say that there was um, a murderer, there was someone who had killed a lot of people and then me and Aaron saw him on the streets and we just walked up and shot him. Well, then we would be on trial for murder as mm-hmm. well and right and rightfully slow. So, um, but if that man is arrested and then a, a judge and a jury convicts him and they condemn him to death and the executioner um, kills that man. Well, that's a very different idea. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's different is because of authority. So w- me and Aaron in that situation would not have the authority um, to enact judgment. It's true. Um, but the the judge does. Yeah. And in the same way, um, in the Old Testament, the people did not have the authority to enact judgment, uh, but God does. And even though maybe someone else fulfills the judgment... It is ultimately God's judgment. It's God's judgment to accept Jacob and reject Esau. We may not fully understand it, but God has the authority to do yeah. it. And we kind of have to trust in him. Um, and it's the same with the, uh, the question from last week about just the, uh, um, the killing of everyone. It's it's the fact that God is a righteous judge um, and what he has decreed is, is yeah. good. So and it doesn't you know. always mean, because I, I don't know why my mind goes to the
1: crusades when sure. Christians use the, the name of God to justify everything that they did. Uh, and it doesn't mean that everything that a Christian Says or justifies their actions, definitely and actually lines up with what God says. Um, so there is there is a certain layer of of balance and tension to walk through, but uh, it does come down
0: to God's authority
1: and sovereignty. So
0: yeah, so yeah. Uh, and with that, good we're chat. gonna go ahead. I had a lot of fun this episode. Yeah, thanks, it was thanks, good. For the,
1: thanks for the questions. Thanks for listening. Uh, we look forward to next week's podcast as we yeah. drop that one too
0: and just a quick reminder uh we are a podcast of the grove church but we're not the only podcast of the grove church you can oh, check out but you can check out all of our other resources at our website at grove.church um and do us a favor if you like the show uh leave us a review the more reviews we get the more people kind of get to see the podcast the more we get Plays to grow the algorithms. yeah so we, the more we get to grow this community of people reading the bible together yeah um, but with that being said we will see you all next week have a great week